I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Brandy J is a self-love advocate, multimedia personality, and the host of Black Excellence, a national television series highlighting successful Black entrepreneurs and businesses. Recognizing the need to kick down barriers as a plus-size woman, Brandy is on a mission to make being a proud, curvy woman mainstream. She's the founder and former editor-in-chief of Lux Curves magazine the first upscale luxury publication for plus-size women. Brandy's also the former host of the Brandy J Show, where she interviewed notable figures and A-list celebrities. So please welcome to the show, Brandy J. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. I am excited to jump into this conversation because I love having conversations with women that are open to speaking about their healing journey. And you've been openly sharing different parts of your healing journey. So I know that the listeners are going to get so many gems. So they need to go and get a pen and a paper and take notes. Yes. Get a notebook. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we get into where you are presently in your healing journey, I love to learn about young Brandy. I love to learn about that mm. before, you know, the, the inner child. Um, you know, I'd love to learn about those experiences because it tells us a lot about who you become and how you got there. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know, what were you like as a teenager? And what were your aspirations? As a teenager, I think I was a hot ass mess at some (laughs) point. And then I was like, because I I watched my older sisters because I'm the youngest. So Mm -hmm. I watched what they did and I finessed it because 
I always felt like my dad always said, you know, when he was alive, he told my older sisters, he was like, you know, Brandy's a smart one because she figured it out. And my dad had like one, like a couple of rules. It was be respectful and bring home A's and B's and you can get everything you want. Mm-hmm. My older two sisters didn't follow that. Then they got in trouble left and right. So I was like, look, I'm tired of dad yelling. I ain't got time to hear this man's mouth. And I want to do what I want to do. So I was very ambitious and determined, very strong-minded as a child, as a teenager as well. I felt like when I was a teenager, I came into my own as far as in high school to do more. So I was senior class vice president. I was in, I was African-American student body president. I was an ASB. Like I just was like, I was in volleyball, I did basketball. So I did things in high school that my older sisters didn't do. And I, you know, got A's and B's. And then like my mom and dad didn't realize I put my own self in honors classes. Mm-hmm. So I was in honors classes, I was in media classes, um, and I just wanted that freedom to do whatever I want, you know, as a teenager. And so I just did what my dad asked me to do. Um, Very outgoing, very outspoken. I had an attitude. I think we all had attitudes as teenagers, (laughs) you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, and I had a great time, like, I always tell, you know, I've always told, you know, my children, you know, I had a great, you know, junior and 12th grade was like my best year. I feel like for me, just being a typical kid. Yes, I had a fake ID. So we would sneak over to TJ, go to the clubs. I mean, it is what it is. You live in San Diego, you're 20 minutes away from Mexico, you're going to have a fake ID. That's mm-hmm. what it was. <laughs> um, but another part of me, I was very honest with my mom. I was very honest with her with what I was doing, what I was, um, you know, just experimenting or whatever. I always had that open communication with my mom mm-hmm. of what I was doing. So she knew everything and I didn't feel ashamed. I didn't feel like, you know, she was going to judge me or anything like that. I just was always open with my mom. And, you know, of course, I had a couple of eating disorders growing up because I feel like our parents, our parents did the, I mean, I always tell people, my parents did the best they could with what they knew. Mm-hmm. Not saying it was right, but my dad was really, you know, even though I was the youngest, I was probably, uh, my older sister was the, uh, the biggest at the time, but I was a big child. And he would call me Miss Piggy. He would, you know, he put me on my first diet when I was 10. Didn't wow. realize I, I was on a diet, didn't realize something was wrong with me so as I got older my body was developing as a teenager I went hard in sports I was still diet pills I had you know I would eat and then throw up eat and then throw up because I wanted to make sure I was not big Mm -hmm. to my dad's standards Mm -hmm. Um, and it's something that is still you know I'm 42 And I can still hear him sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then to me, I use that now as a way to motivate me to get back, you know, to, hey, Brady, go in the gym, do what you got to do. You know, at some point in time as women or just human beings, we just get in the mode. We we don't want to work out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) We just don't care. And I was doing that for so long. So now I'm in a stage in my life. I'm like, okay, let me get back in the gym and do what I have to do. Because I just want to be healthy for me. Mm -hmm. But 
that's one thing it taught me because I was, as being a teenager, I was trying to be healthy and do all these things for to please my dad. And it, it just didn't work out. I, I mean, it worked out because I was smaller, but I didn't have healthy habits. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, there's so, well, first of all, I'm sorry you had to go through those experiences, especially as a child, you know, our impressionable years where we're like these sponges and we basically are absorbing everything around us that the world is telling us, whether we absorb that, you know, we are good enough or not good enough or whatever message is being told to us from when we were young. Like you said, it still plays in your mind. Even in your forties, you know, you had that story Mm -hmm. being replayed in your head over and over again, which definitely affects how we move throughout the world. So, you know, you spoke about, you know, your teenage years and, and where you received criticism from. So, you know, though we might rebel (laughs) in our teenage years, we are generally compelled to please or imitate our authority figures. And Mm -hmm. you shared a little bit about how your dad um, criticized you and called you Miss Piggy from a young age and and put you on a, a diet. I'd be interested to know on the contrary, like, where did you receive praise from my grandmother she was everyone in a, a family calls me a little sarah um because I was, her name was sarah um okay. or i always say is even though she passed um and i look like her i act like her so out of all her grandkids you have one that is your spitting image my um, i was her favorite i'm just gonna call it <laughs> <laughs> so she was my protector and she was the one who, and that was my dad's mom. So she held no punches. Grandma Sarah did not care. She would cuss you out of heartbeat. She didn't care who you, she did not care. And she cussed out my dad plenty of times for saying things to me or things like that when she found out or she heard. And she really was to me and still is to this day, a woman that I look up to. You know, she was curvy. She was strong. She didn't hold no punches. She had all these things thrown at her when I, you know, when I learned more about my grandmother as I got older over her years of growing up and she overcame them and lived the life she wanted on her own terms, mm-hmm. despite what anyone told her. I mean, and you can imagine, you know, she was born in 1917. So growing up in those times being fair skin, you know, mixed black, uh, because uh, my great-grandmother was 100% Indian and my great-grandfather was African-American and French and some other stuff I was told. Mm-hmm. So she was very fair-skinned. So growing up in that time and just having that strong mind, having, she didn't care, she spoke her mind, you know, was, you know, very dangerous, but she did it. And that's where I come from. And mm-hmm. she always fought and stood up for people because she didn't like people being mistreated. So, and that's where I get it from. And that's where it's something that growing up, she was this, the protector. She was this always putting, pouring into me, telling me I'm beautiful. You know, I got teased from my siblings for being fair, being, you know, light, uh, lighter than them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would tell me, oh, dad is not your real dad. The milkman's your dad. And like all these things as a oh, child wow. that you, you, even though they think it's funny, but then you start to question it because you're like, wait a minute, I don't look like them. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, she heard it one time. Like I was like, she, I said, I can't believe she said this when I got older. 
she yelled at my sisters and she said, don't get mad because you guys are in the field and your sisters, you know, you, you guys are the field niggas and she's in the house. I said, wow. oh my God. Wow. But back then I didn't, I knew what she was doing. Like she was telling them, stop making fun of your sister because of her skin color. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. after that point, they stopped. But she was always defending me or protecting me and pouring into me mm-hmm. and telling me I'm beautiful, telling me, you know, love your body, baby, doesn't matter. Like, it's okay. Like, yeah, you have a thick body. Like, she was like, you're thick. She's like, when you get older, guys, you know, at the time, you know, guys are going to love it. You're going to go into your own. And now you get to the point where I'm 42 and you see women trying to pay for big butts, mm-hmm. trying, you know, paying for big butts, paying for thick hips and all this other stuff that comes naturally to me. But she was and still is like the person I look up to. Wow. You know, it's it's beautiful to be able to have a protector like that in your life because yeah. I'm, I'm listening to your story. And, you know, it's one thing when someone's growing up as a child and they have to go to school and they're bullied outside of the home. But, you know, when your siblings or your parents or your caregivers are making you question who you are as a child Mm -hmm. inside the house, when you feel like you need that protection inside the house, you had your grandmother who stood up for you, who was that voice for you, who was that example for you of strength. Yeah. Yeah, wow. she was, you know, she passed when I was 21. So I don't know. It's something that I felt like when she passed, she knew her work was done. Mm-hmm. Even though I wasn't ready because I was pregnant with my daughter and she was just waiting to see her baby and have a baby. Mm-hmm. But she passed when I was five months pregnant um, with my daughter. So it was something that, I felt like she said, I felt like she, she taught me everything she needed to teach me to prepare me for what I was about to go through. And, um, even like I said to this day, like I look at her picture every day Mm -hmm. and she is someone that, you know, you say anything bad about my grandma, I'm going, I'm going to knock the shit out of you. (laughs) Nothing bad about my grandma, Sarah, that is my heart and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the women that have come on the show and spoken about losing a loved one that they cared for deeply, it shifted their perspective of life. Do you feel losing your grandmother shifted anything for you? Well, losing my grandmother and losing my father eight years ago, it actually will be eight years tomorrow. Oh, wow. Thanksgiving. My condolences. Mm-hmm. They losing my grandmother at a young at twenty one made me realize I had a voice mm. and I needed to use it, and I wasn't using it at the time, and not having her there, it was hard mm-hmm. it was hard, so it made me realize like okay. Of course, you got to cherish the people who are here, but you also have to embody the gems that they pour into you mm-hmm. to prepare you for when they're not here. Absolutely. When my father passed eight years ago, I always tell people, when you are a child, doesn't matter how old you are, you lose a parent, you feel like a party is gone. Mm-hmm. 
And this, and I tell people, despite what my dad did, he was still my dad. Mm-hmm. He was he was a provider. We never went without. He did, you know, he protected us. No matter where he was, in and out of prison, no matter what, he was a dad. He never mm-hmm. stopped being a dad. He didn't believe in men not taking care of their kids. Like he instilled a lot into me. And even though some people will say, well, he did this and he did that, I said, well, yeah. But at, at some point in time as an adult, and if you're healing, you have to understand he did what he knew. Mm-hmm. Especially in our communities, in the Black community, a lot of our parents weren't taught how to do certain things. Right. So to other races, it looks terrible. But they weren't taught certain things and they did the best they could with what they had and with the knowledge that they knew. And I feel like a lot of us sometimes just hold that grudge towards our parents. But the part of the healing is like, you know what? I can't go back and change my childhood. Mm-hmm. It happened. Right. Would I, would I want my dad to call me? For, no, I didn't want any of that to happen. But if it didn't, it, it wouldn't have made me the person I am today. I feel like no matter the environment that we grew up in, whether we grow up in poverty, whether we grow up in luxury, you know, whatever happens inside of our household, for a lot of us, there's either we think that that is the norm and then later mm-hmm. find out that it's not, or Correct. we think that we're the only one and then later find out that it's not. Correct. Um, and I, I think a lot of times I, I would, I was going to say, in the black community, but I've realized, you know, speaking to so many different women from so many different backgrounds that it, it's, it's, it's happening in every community where there are things yeah. that seem normal within that community. And then we learn that it's actually, you know, traumatic or unhealthy. Um, yeah. And sometimes, especially because if you look at some of our our parents and our grandparents upbringing, you know, how close our grandparents were to slavery. And then you look at our parents who are, who are basically functioning in a state of survival. Oftentimes a lot of the things and their behaviors were their trauma responses. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily that they didn't have good intentions. The outcome may not have been great, but their intention may not have been to harm, but in that time they were doing what they thought was best with the information that they had. And Correct. I'm thinking about um, Michelle Obama's latest book. Uh, I think it's called The Light We Carry. And I'm in the middle of reading that book. And she gives an example of how, as a child, the child may enter into a room and their parents' first response is to like criticize their appearance or fix their clothing or they're, you know, they're trying to alter something about the child because they want them to be presented in the best light, but that child doesn't view that intention in that manner. That child processes that in as, oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So it, the intention may be a positive, but what is felt and what is internalized by the child is a negative. Is a negative. Yeah. yeah. I, I also wanted to speak to what you said about when your grandmother passed and the things that it taught you, you know, a lot of, a lot of times anyone that I speak to that has lost a loved one, um, including myself, when that person was your protector, when that person was your voice and they pass on, 
you know, we have a choice at that point. We can continue to honor them and, mm-hmm. you know, find our own voice and do better in this world and and know that they're looking out for us. Or we can, you know, internalize and become depressed and not do anything and, and be stuck where we are. How do you feel your grandmother's passing has impacted your drive and your passion to speak up today? Um, I've always been an advocate. I mean, I was the kid, if I saw someone bully someone, I would go beat up the bully. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I would defend someone. So it just amplified when I, when she passed. And after she passed, you know, I, I was married young to my daughter's father and he was very abusive emotionally, physically, and mentally and sexually to me. Wow. So I had to challenge, I had to like channel my grandma to get out of that situation because, Mm -hmm. you know, she never allowed anyone to put hands on her. Even if I heard stories when someone did a guy that she knocked the shit, like knocked the shit out of him and didn't stand for that. And that's why, you know, my uncles and my dad was, you know, they were raised by her and they, you know, you don't ever, a man should never put his hands on a woman. No one needs to put hands on anyone, you know? So for me, it was something that it motivated me even more, but mm-hmm. I didn't come into my own until I had my son, which was 12 years ago. He's 12 now. So once I was praying and I was like, what is my purpose? What I'm supposed to be doing? I just felt like, yeah, I'm going to work. I got my degree. I did all this. You know, I, I put myself to school, you know, I was going to night school for college as a single mother because I love my daughter's father. Like I, I, I was doing all these things. And then it was something that she is the reason why I started my brand and started doing everything. And even to this day, you know, she's the reason why, I, you know, when I launched the magazine and then I, you know, let it go this year, which was very liberating for me. And now I'm in a different element of my life as, okay, I want to focus on really embodying the lifestyle that my grandmother lived, what she showed me and preaching it to everyone, because that's how I live. And that's how other women should embrace themselves. Mm -hmm. So I, and, and that's what I do because I felt like when I had the magazine, my, her message that she instilled in me was getting lost. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm believer that Brandy, my family will tell you, Brandy will, I don't care how many celebrities I've interviewed and have on my magazine cover. If it doesn't feel right to me and I'm not doing what my, the portraying or living the life or putting out that message that my grandmother instilled in me and my father instilled in me, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, it's about so living your truth, right? It's it's about living your truth. And that is one thing, you know, I I had to do, you know, with even with my sexuality coming out at 39. You know, I everything I do is living in my truth and being the most authentic self I can and just doing it for me. And I tell people, I tell women, when you live this way, you are going to lose people. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to like that new version of you. Yeah, absolutely. And if you lose them, it is okay because you were supposed to. Yeah. So she, even to this day with her being gone 20 plus years, I have to live, you know, I have to look myself in the mirror. And I tell people that all the time. I said, I'm not about to do something that, 
you know, I don't need my grandma coming down from heaven and my dreams knocking the shit out of me. I mm-hmm. said, no, like it's, it's her, what she instilled in who she is as a, who she was as a woman and everything, it still plays a part in what I do mm-hmm. and how I move in life. And when I'm not living up to the potential that I know she has out for me, because she always told me when I was younger, baby, you're destined for greatness. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you are going to do, but baby, you are destined for greatness. She always told me that. And I didn't know what she meant by that mm-hmm. until I got older. And then my dad said it to my brother on his deathbed. He said, tell your sister to keep going because she's the one that's going to take the family to the name to the next level. Wow. And my brother didn't tell me this until after my dad passed. So it's something that they see something, they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And they were, I feel like they were instilling in me, helping me develop thick skin and to have this exterior interior because they knew what I was about to face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you when you talked about being your true self and living your truth, when you're being your most authentic self, when you're living your most authentic life, some of the relationships around you end up being put in jeopardy because it's either you're oh, attracting yeah. or repelling people around you, right? So mm-hmm. how have you navigated the relationships around you as you've evolved? I <laughs> honestly... <laughs> I always laugh at that question because when people hear my response, I remember watching an episode of Oprah when I was a child and Janet Jackson was on there. And then Oprah said, when you turn 40, you get to a point where you just don't give a damn anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember that interview like it, I was a child and I remember that interview. I understood what she meant. Mm-hmm. Because I came out at 39 and by the time I was four, I did not give a damn anymore. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm going to do what's best for Brandy. And not care if you have a problem because I do what's best for me, then I don't need you in my life. Mm-hmm. Because I always tell people, my, even my best friend of 30 years to tell you, I'm the type of friend and type of person. I don't care what you do in your life. As long as you're not causing harm to yourself. Do whatever you want to do. If mm-hmm. you want to go out and have 10 boyfriend, girlfriends and be a hoe, be the best hoe you can be. I don't <laughs> care because it does not affect me or my household or anything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as people, we get too caught up in what other people are doing when it's their life. Right. So if they want to do something in their life that you may not agree with, it's their life. So when I decided it was beginning of 2020 when COVID first hit to put myself in, because I've been in therapy throughout my life, but I wanted to go into intense therapy because I feel like there were things I wasn't healing from that I was like, I'm t- I need to heal from it. Mm-hmm. So once I started my healing journey and really started seeing things differently and doing, using those tools that I was being you know, my therapy therapist was giving me a lot of people, including family and friends, could not deal with the change. And I did not care because I was happy. And that's all that matters to me. Because yeah. if I'm not happy, how can I be the best mother to my son? How can I be the best, you know, a good person? How, if I'm not happy, I'm not going to be the best version of myself. 
Right. One relationship that has suffered and that still suffered to this day is the relationship with my daughter. She's 21 now. We do not have a good relationship because I had, you know, you get to the point where I'm not going to be the villain in your story anymore. And I told her that. I said, mm-hmm. we've been to therapy. I have apologized for certain things that I even should not have apologized for. And you continue to blame me for certain things and I'm not going to be your villain no more. Mm -hmm. So since in your eyes, you think I'm this terrible mother, you grew up in the best neighborhoods. You lived in big houses. You went to the best schools in San Diego. You went to Disneyland like every other week. You were, you know, even though your father was not in your life, I got remarried. You had two, a two parent household, family traditions, all this. And I did let her know. And I said, just because your stepfather wasn't emotionally available, he was there and he was available in other areas. You were not abused. You were not violated in any way. But in your eyes, you want to be the victim. I'm not going to do this anymore because I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. And when I went through my healing process and I put my foot down on a lot of things, it affected our relationship, even affected my, me and my mom's relationship. Mm. Because when you start to evolve and heal and elevate, people want you to still be that old version of yourself. Right. I wasn't her anymore and I'm not her anymore. So me and my mom, we started to rebuild our relationship, but now it's at a point that I'm not going to play. I'm not, I'm not going to, make myself get all upset or things like that anymore like do whatever you want to do and that's how I feel with my daughter Mm -hmm. you want to be 21 and not be live to your best potential right now that is you it it's not affecting my life Mm -hmm. it's going to affect your life so and that's what I tell people when you evolve and heal and elevate you can't feel bad about it and understand people are not going to understand some people are going to love it. They're going to be like, yes, girl, they're going to motivate you. And the ones who don't, they just don't. Right. And I think because we all evolve at different paces, we all have to be ready for the journey, you know, to be able to go deep into it. But when you're going deep into your healing journey and you start to, um, you know, in other people's eyes change or you're not who you, you used to be, people who are not ready for their own healing, for their own vulnerability, Mm -hmm. their own accountability will project and point. And at the end of the day, every experience is co-created. You know, I've had my fair share of toxic relationships or family issues. So, you know, I'm speaking from my own experiences. Every experience is co-created. So if we can, whether it be accepting 10% of the blame, like it doesn't have, I'm not saying it's 50% all the time, but holding ourselves accountable for our own actions and not pointing the finger at everybody else. Because at the end of the day, it's based on a lot of our decisions that we made. And we may not have made those decisions, you know, in a healthy state of mind at that time. I think sometimes, whether it be children, whether it be fam, like, you know, parents, friends, you name it, they have this version of you in their mind. And as you mm-hmm. evolve, that version of you doesn't evolve with the version that they have in their mind. So Correct. they continue to bring the past into the present, even though you are yep. no longer that person. And mm-hmm. they continue to 
relive the past experiences and they want you to continue in that cycle. And if you choose not to, they get upset. Yep. (laughs) Uh, So I get it. (laughs) I get it. I would love to know, like, so you, you spoke about your experience um, with domestic violence and I know that, you know, you, also encourage other women to not be afraid to walk away from harmful situations Mm -hmm. and people. What advice would you give to the women that are listening right now that are in any form of a toxic connection or relationship, whether that be with a romantic partner, whether that be with a family member, a coworker, what advice would you give? Mm. It's easy to say walk away. And I told people, but when you're in that situation, sometimes you don't know how to walk away. Mm-hmm. So you got to get to a point within yourself that you have to say, I deserve better. I want better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get better. And that doesn't mean like, you know, oh, let me go get someone else. That just means you're going to go heal and do what you need to do. So for me, like I've been in toxic relationships, not once, not twice, you know, you go through them. If it's, you know, like you said, it's different forms. It can, it can be a job. It can be this, like you get to your point. You have, I got to my point. I'm proud of this shit. I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not staying in a situation. I'm not going to live my life anymore because when I, when I, when people say life is short, life is so short and I want to make sure when my number is called, I can say, I live the life God meant me to live. Yeah. And he does not meant for us to live in situations that are toxic. Mm-hmm. And I had people like, well, you know, I have kids and it's hard. I left my daughter's father when she was two years old mm-hmm. and I had to move back home with my mom. Mm-hmm. It was un- my mom and dad at the time. It was uncomfortable, but I did it. And then left and then I, you know, was on my own and then I met my son's father and we were together, got married together for 12 years, mm-hmm. left that marriage because I was not happy. He was financially abusive at the time and I didn't like how he treated my daughter and I just did not want to go back and live with my mom. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what, but I was in a situation where he was the breadwinner. I was working a job, but I was working a job that could not, I could not afford to live on my own in California. Mm-hmm. So I had to make a plan and I did that plan. I said, you know what? I may not want to live with my mom, but I have to live with my mom. And sometimes God makes us get uncomfortable mm-hmm. for us to grow into what he needs us to grow into. And when I tell you moving back in with my mom was hard and I was there for two years but it gave me the drive to say, you know what? I got to go find something else. I got to go find a higher, I got to go harder on my business. I got to go find, find another higher paid job. I got to get my kids out of here. Like I, it gave me a more determination to do what I needed to do for myself. And I did it. Like I didn't even tell my mom I was moving out. She just saw me pull up with the (laughs) U-Haul. You know, every time I, record an episode and someone shares a part of their story. You know, I know that the women that are listening, whether you can resonate with the entire story, a piece of the story, or someone, you know, has the same exact situation. There's always so many similarities. 
And, you know, I can hear so many similarities in your story with my story alone, but I'm I'm just thinking about all of the women that have been on this show or even on my Instagram interviews, you know, there's, there's a commonality. And sometimes when we have multiple toxic relationships, we come to a point in our life where when we're ready to do that deep, uncomfortable healing, and you mm-hmm. realize that it stemmed from your childhood, you know, your childhood relationships, how we were treated, how we were loved, the type of love we didn't get, the emotional neglect. Like there's so many factors from our childhood that play into the type of love that we accept throughout the years because of what we think is normal. And Mm -hmm. when you get to that point where you're like, enough is enough, I'm going to do the work on myself. And you realize that you haven't been setting the healthy boundaries that you should have. Correct. Right. We, We realize that we can change our own habits to have healthier relationships, to have, mm-hmm. you know, healthier thoughts, feelings, and actions to improve the types of relationships that we accept and that we attract. Yeah. I think for the women that are listening, if you're in any type of unhealthy relationship around you, family, loved one, whatever, ask yourself, what would you love? And what does that look like? Because sometimes we're sitting in this situation and we are so focused on what we don't want and what we, all of the negatives. And yeah, we, and I would, and, and I would also say to that, you have to take accountability. Yes. What we do as humans, we don't like to look at ourselves and say, I, I, it was when I left my second husband and, you know, you start dating again and I was in three back-to-back toxic situations she was men one with the woman uh when I first came out she was like the first woman I was with so she was very toxic um I had to at that point is when I said okay Brandy the common denominator is you Mm -hmm. so what are you putting out in the universe to attract these type of people Mm -hmm. because I can sit here and blame them all day Mm mm-hmm But at the end of the day, I'm the one who's saying, yes, let's continue this conversation. Yes, let's talk. Yes, let's continue to see we want to be together. All that stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. So when I ended the relationship with my first girlfriend, I said, okay, I'm not doing this shit again. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it. What is it that I'm doing that I'm putting out there that's attracting these types of people? So. And my therapist was like, well, Brandy, a lot of people don't even come into therapy and say that. Right. I said, well, I, I can't put the blame. I, I can blame them all day. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I'm the common denominator. Mm-hmm. So what am I putting out there? And as women, as human beings, as men, whatever you identify, you have to take accountability and look at you. Yeah. So then I had to look at me and say some things that I thought were healed were not healed. Right. So let me go back and do the work and let me set those healthy boundaries. Let me, nope, I'm not dealing with that. Nope. Like, and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. So we have to first look at ourselves and take accountability and say, okay, what am I putting out there? What trauma am I not healing from that I see that's fulfilling that void that, I, that I'm dealing with with these toxic people? Mm-hmm. And I have to have that conversation with myself. 
And I had to be like, I don't want this anymore. So when I tell you, I, when I started the journey and I let go of certain things, I even stopped dealing with business partners who I didn't, who were toxic. Like you have to, when I cleaned house, I cleaned house mm-hmm. and did not care about how I didn't care. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh no, you got to still work with that person. You guys work good together, but it's toxic. And I see toxic traits in that person that I don't want in my life. And I don't care how good we work together. I need to, I need to be, I need to sleep at night. Yeah. Your mental health is more important than a dollar. My side. mental health and my peace is more important. Yeah. And my mom will tell people though, Brandy is quick to cut you off and not care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because my mental health and my peace is more important. Right. I think, you know, your, your therapist is right where a lot of people don't turn inward first. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like we, we spoke about before, it's, it's easy to project and to blame and play the victim, but it's not as common for people to turn inwards. And I, I get it. Cause I'm totally that person where even if I have a disagreement with someone or something rubs me the wrong way, my first instinct is to turn inward and say, okay, what, what did I do? What could I have done differently and assess inward before turning anything outward? Correct. I think, I think a huge part of why I even pivoted the direction of this show is, you know, a lot of our relationships, all of our relationships are really a reflection of how we deal with ourselves and mm-hmm. wanting to create a space for a woman to honor, elevate, and love herself is, I guess, what I feel is my contribution to helping yeah. her heal as a community. Correct. Okay, so before before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you to learn more from you and about you. I have... Oh, Instagram. I have two Instagrams. One is Brandy J Curvy, and that's Curvy with a K. And then my lifestyle brand, Lux Lifestyle, it's Lux underscore Lifestyles. So you can stay connected with me there. Type in Brandy J, you know, always remember two E's at the end. um, And you'll be able to connect with me and find me. Um, I share insight into my personal life. You'll see, you know, things I'm doing. I really embody living that, and I call it the Lux lifestyle, because mm-hmm. even though I no longer have the magazine, Lux is part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's not always about, oh, let me go get, you know, I love the finer things in life. I wear Chanel. I, lo- I love the finer things in life. But like I tell people, it's not just about material things. Living the Lux lifestyle is about embracing the life you want to live. And that is also with going to therapy, with healing. Yes. You know, if you want to go for a walk, go for a walk. If you want to go to the beach for that day, go to the beach. It's really about just living a healthy life that's that's best for you mm-hmm. and not caring what people think. It's not just about, oh, well, let me go get these new shoes. No, it's about embodying everything about you and making it luxe. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's not about the superficial. It's about the, the wholeness of it, right? It's about the wholeness of who you are. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why I I actually let go of my magazine. Mm. And I told someone, I said, I don't, I was talking to one of my ex-editors because we sit on con- so keep in contact. And I said, honestly, don't give a damn about the top fashion trends. Mm-hmm. I don't care about 
beauty products that people should be wearing. I care about their mental health and their ability to live the life that they want to live. And the magazine was not serving that purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. I love and that. And that's my purpose. And that's why I was like, I'm letting it go. And I did not care what anyone had to say. I love that because of your core values and your priorities, you realize that, you know, what you were putting out there no longer resonated with that and you were okay with letting it go. I think oftentimes Mm -hmm. people associate, you know, letting something go with quitting and it doesn't mean that you're quitting. It just means that that thing just isn't for you anymore. You've evolved. There's nothing wrong with that. I love that. Love that. You know, I recently joined a board for a new magazine that just launched maybe a week or so ago, actually. Um, it's called Defy Magazine. And it was because it was a former journalist who got tired of being part of magazines that were all run by men telling women what lipstick to wear, what size they should be. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so the magazine is about addressing misogyny and it's about our the mental health of women and the wholeness of women and not the superficial. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Well, if you guys need an article from me, let me know. Yes, I'll um, definitely connect you with uh, the editor in chief there. <laughs> yeah, it's just something that, you know, I mean, I had top celebrities on my cover, but it was, I tell people, I said, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I said, what are these celebrities doing for our communities? Mm-hmm. What are they feeding into me sitting down and interviewing them? What am I going to learn? Mm-hmm. And I feel like even to this day, I tell people my best interview was with Tori Hart. It was an interview that it was just two black women coming together who were going through things differently, going mm-hmm. though, going through the same thing with, you know, I was divorcing my husband. She was still, doing, you know, so you have two black women who are going through the same thing. But mine is obviously more smaller because no one I'm not in a limelight like that. You are. Mm-hmm. But we came together and connected, okay, how do we properly co-parent with these men? Because we have children. Mm-hmm. And it was two homegirls having a conversation. And I tell people that was my best interview. I always will say because it was just two women coming together, dealing with the same thing, navigating through life and say, okay, what can I do to be a better co-parent with him? And what can she do? And just giving each other advice on what things that work for us. Mm-hmm. That to me is pouring into our people, pouring into the world, because you see so many times in our black community, oh, you leave someone, you get a divorce, they can't properly co-parent. Mm-hmm. It's the baby mama. Is it? It's, no, mm-hmm. I don't believe in stuff like that. And that is one thing I even told my ex-husband. I said, because my first ex-husband was very toxic. So he, he, his whole thing was, well, since we're, you're not here with me anymore, I'm not going to be a part of our daughter's life. And that's going to affect you. No, it's not going to affect me. It's going to affect her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was too much. And I, and I told my son's father, I'm not going through that anymore. So when we divorced, I said, look, at one point in time, you loved me and I loved you. And we had this beautiful boy together. Let's go through this divorce with love. Mm-hmm. Not for the love of each other, but for the love of our son. Yeah. So when it came down to custody, when it came down to certain things and he was trying to like, I want full custody and no one's going to give you full custody. Like I'm a good mother. No one's going to take my son away from me because you are in your feelings. Mm-hmm. And even they even said that, remove your feelings. Yeah. He's a good mother. 
And I said, look, you're a good father. I'm not trying to take that away from you. 50-50. Okay. Mm -hmm. What days do you want? Even to the point where my stepdaughter, she is 22. And her, when we were together, when I was with her father, her parents were always at it. It was just too much. I have to get involved. And she told me, she was like, wow, mom, I wish my mom and dad were like how you and dad are handling when it comes to my brother. Mm-hmm. I said, well, well, baby, it's about putting his needs first and removing your ego. Right. Exactly. Like that- his dad, his dad can call me. Hey, Brandy, I want to take, it could be my day. Hey, I want to take Quentin on Wednesday to Sea World, whatever. I know that's your day. Am I going to be upset? No. Okay. Take him. I'll just get an extra day when you drop him off. All right, cool. Have fun. Hey, can you give me a cheer row? You mm-hmm. know, can you get yeah. me? That's the type <laughs> yeah. of relationship we have. Like, even when he took him to Disneyland and he was like, can, I want to stay an extra day. I was like, stay an extra day. I'll just tack it on. But hey, can you make sure you bring me back a Christmas ornament from Disneyland? Because you know, I love Disney. He's like, yeah, not a problem. That is, mm-hmm. but it took us years, like, it took us time to get here after the hurt and everything. But I, I always said when I left, let's do this with love. And I kept saying it. We're doing it with love. We're doing it with love despite certain things. Not saying it was all perfect. He still had to get tested out a couple of times for just doing stupid stuff <laughs> that men do, mm-hmm. you know, but it's all about our son. And when you heal, when you go through things, it's all about just putting that positive stuff out there and helping our community and helping our people see things and do things differently. Absolutely. Me arguing with her, me arguing with my son's father is only going to affect my son. I agree with you a thousand percent, one thousand percent. Yeah, we we could have a whole another podcast episode on that conversation because I'm I'm the same way with with my daughter's father. But um, yeah, <laughs> we'll save that for a part two one day. Um. <laughs> I I will have all of the details for people to connect with you in the details section of the episode so they don't have to search too far. But for the final segment of the show, it's kind of like a rapid fire. Sometimes it's not so rapid because I ask you to unpack and I don't like rules. So uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you let me know when you're ready and, and we'll jump into those. All right, we're ready. All right. Okay. What would you say is your superpower? Ooh, my power to not give a damn. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> okay. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Huh. My mother told me when I was with my son, well, with my daughter's father, oh, just stay with him so you can have a husband. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And when he was physically, and he, when he was abusing me in every way. <sighs> that so was the worst moment. advice. Oh, goodness. Okay. What, what 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 is the best advice you've ever received? Um, the best advice I ever received was from my grandmother when she said, who gives a damn what people do? Who gives a damn what people say? If people don't want to deal with you, they don't like you, fuck them and live mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is what she told me when I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> that okay. is how my grandmother talked to me. <laughs> Good old grandma Sarah. she was about the truth (laughs) she was about the truth um okay when and where are you the happiest oh that's disneyland um disneyland's my happy place i'm also happy in the kitchen when i'm cooking 
for my uh, girlfriend. I don't like to call her girlfriend. I just feel like that sounds so immature. My partner mm-hmm. and our kids. Okay. Um, cause my, my grandmother says you show love through your food. Mm-hmm. And, and I love to show love through my food. Love it. Um, okay. What is something other people value, but you don't? Material things. Okay. And last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? Live in their truth. Mm. Wow. Despite how they may look. Because when we live in our truth, a lot of women are afraid for what what comes with it. Mm. And I was afraid when I lived in my truth and came out at 39. I was like, I'm going to be a 39 lesbian. How the hell am I going to navigate through this shit? Mm-hmm. but I had to live in my truth mm-hmm. and it was scary even when I left my son's father the last thing he said to me before I left, you would never make it without me but I had to live in my truth and to be the be 42 living on my own I have I me and my son live you know I have my own place and me and my partner it's going to you know two and a half years of us being together, but we don't live together because I want to, I wanted how scary it was to be a single mother again and to have everything on me, paying the rent, living in California is very expensive as a single mother, but to sit back and say, I'm doing it on my own mm-hmm. is liberating and powerful. And it taught me you can do any and everything, Brandy, despite what people may think or say about you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that. living in our truth, it's going to be scary. But to be able to walk into my house and say, I do this, everything I provide for my son, and this is my house. If I don't mm-hmm. want to cook, if I want to leave dishes in the sink for two days, I can do that because it's mm-hmm. my house. I wouldn't trade it for the world because I'm living in my truth. Hmm. I love it. Wow. Thank you so much, Brandy, for sharing your truth with us. Thank you for sharing your story, your gems. Thank you for being so transparent. I truly, truly appreciate your time. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> and to all of you healers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We'd love to hear what your aha moments were, what part of Brandy's story resonated with you. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Brandy at Brandy J. Curvy. That's B-R-A-N-D-E-E. J-K-U-R-B-Y and you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. A healthy community is a healing community and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. So let's continue to heal her. <laughs>